You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the trailers, box art, behind the scenes. And Sarah's back. I'm back to rock and roll. I'm dancing rock and roll. And we watch Streets of Fire. I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before, where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun, where the beautiful Stay and see the show. It's really good. The brutal I want Tom Cody and the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. of 48 Hours, Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Holy moly, that trailer is full of rock and roll, leather, sweat, and uh, I think a, a girl gets punched in this movie. Yeah, eh, yeah, I was hoping we would... Uh talk about that a little later because uh it really fits the plot at the end but yeah diane lane the main character here gets punched in the face by her beloved ex-boyfriend i can't believe i've never even really heard of this movie until we popped this tape in i felt like the whole time i was watching this movie that although i had never seen it it reminded me of so many other parts of other movies that I felt like I could have been watching Grease or West Side Story or even just a film from when we were younger. like In the 80s. In the 80s by John Hughes. John Hughes, I didn't get any of that from this. 
Well, it just, it felt like a whole bunch of teenagers and like a weird love story. So it was kind of just like a mashup of all of my pseudo favorite genres of movies, minus the explosions. And a girl passing out and getting felt up, like most John Hughes movies. Hey, oh! Oh, yeah. That's what happens in his movies. I know, I know. And then everyone's, isn't that funny? That's funny. It's not, it's not funny. But, uh... With this one, I got more of the Warriors right away, and I had no idea that this was the same director as the Warriors. It's just I started to pick up certain, you know, uh, characters. He used uh, certain actors in the Warriors, just like he used in this one, and then I just started to get that vibe because uh, the, a lot of Warriors was just directed on a really small set and a really like scummy set when i was watching this movie it just felt so much like the warriors so it was funny as soon as we were done with the movie i looked it up and i was like oh it's from the same director and actually i was when i was going through some of the notes about this movie it was actually filmed in a pretty grungy area it was filmed for about five seconds underneath the chicago l tracks and then the rest of it was filmed under a tarp yeah, at well, Universal no. Studios. Yeah, they in the set they would put the tarp up, and that's how you block out the sun. So if you're you just can keep going, right? So to look like it was an evening, everything yeah. was being done in the evening. I believe they also did that in the Super Mario Brothers, a couple other movies where it's always like neo noir, dark all the time. Never, there's never any sun. That's what they do in movies like this that are made on a set. And most of those movies like that are always made on a set, so you can control the weather. Right, but um, they will they will say I was when I was reading through the reviews that one of the biggest issues was that everything just looks so dark and grungy, especially because it was set in a beautiful city like Chicago, but it only showed while they're in Chicago the dark and dreariness underneath. The L tracks. Yeah, I'm down with that. I love these movies. I wasn't sure what to think about this movie. I always have loved the whole, you know, rock star motorcycle movie with the love interest and and then the best friend like McCoy, who is the female counterpart to the main character Cody. Yeah, he he had like a, a really. Is that his basic name? He had like the most basic name possible. Tom Cody, maybe? His sister's name yeah. was Reva Cody, but his his name was... He was just tall, dark, and... Tom. Tom, yeah, that's it. His I name knew was he had Tom. like a really, really generic name. I think that was on purpose, though. I don't think the writers or directors, producers really wanted like a, a big character. I think they wanted the world to be the character. And he was just like the big tough guy, stranger, like walking through it. Yeah, possibly. They also didn't really put him in the best attire. He had oh, no. uh, yeah. this whole the whole movie. This whole movie, he's wearing a pair of farmer pants and suspenders and a white t-shirt. Yeah, and what'd you keep calling it? Like it he felt. Was, uh... I felt like I was watching like the Amish or Mennonite. Uh, like movie channel. Yeah, he was just like walking through it. Yeah, with the suspenders, and you said it at one time, it looks like he's wearing like uh, fisherman pants, you know, when they go like fly fishing. Well, that was actually the motorcycle lead. The guy 
at the mm. motorcycle lead. That was not Tom Cody. That was the guy who led the motorcycle band. Yeah, William Defoe. Oh, not the band. Yeah, the William Defoe. Isn't he an ugly man? He's awesome. I love every second of him on every film he's ever been in. Actually, when Stephen and I were watching this, he asked, we were playing the game, how old do you think these people are? And I actually took one look at William Defoe and thought he was about 50 years old in this movie. But it turns out... Yeah, he was mid-30s, right? Like 34? I believe he was 26 years old. 26? The only person on this set in this movie that apparently was over the age of 30 was Rick Moranis. Yeah, Rick Moranis. That, that's an interesting guy when we get into his character, Billy Fish. Billy but anyway, Fish. back to William Defoe. Yeah, see, I thought he was mid-30s. I thought I guessed his age directly on. Yeah, I thought you said 26. Oh, he was born in 55, so he was... No, he was only um, 30... My, when was this, 84? 84. Oh, he was 29. Oh, so I was wrong too, but yeah, he was 29. Almost everybody I read, almost everybody in this movie was under the age of 30. I can't believe he was 29. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he looked about 50 and still scary as shit. But Diane Lane was incredibly young. She was like, what, 20? 19? 18. 18? Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, she looks it. She just looks like a baby. So I believe that Steven and I have a different of opinion when it comes to Diane Lane's character and her. Yeah. her... Well, well, let's hold off till we talk about the movie when oh, we get into okay. these little details. Uh, when we were looking at this movie, uh, this movie, like when you look at the box art of this VHS. I had never seen this box art. I've never even seen this this VHS because if I would have sold this in the rental store, I would have picked it up immediately. I probably would have picked it up as long as I can't remember exactly, but does it say it's a musical? On uh, the no, episode? it says a rock and roll fable. Then I probably wouldn't have picked it up to be honest. If it if it was if it said it was a mu- musical or had Disney on it, that's what I would have been picking up in 1984. Yeah, with this one, it's got a fantastic, like, neo-noir oil painting, like, where the sky is red, uh, the background, and even the characters in front are all blue and black. It it looks like a wood carving, too. It might be a wood carving. And it's just really plain and simple, really awesome neo-noir, or, or like, even tech-noir. I guess you'd have to actually look it up. It's awesome. I have never seen this, and I want this poster. So one day you're going to have to put up with this poster in our uh, in our hallway because I love this. You know, actually, it fits all of my qualifications for art. More than one person, a nice bright background, a huge-ass rifle right in the middle of it. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page here. Oh, yes, definitely on the same page. Yeah, and then when you turn around, I mean, because there's nothing really that fancy about the side. It's just got the name on it. Nothing that sometimes Matt and I like to talk about what's really weird. This just says stereo. Oh, oh, it's in surround, too. But anyway, uh, let's read the description on the back here. Streets of Fire is a movie unlike any other scene before. A rock and roll fable in which songs are as essential to the film as the action sequences. Michael... Perrier? How do you 
Parier? Pierre. Parry. Let's go with Parry. It's French. I don't like it. Uh, Stars as Tom Cody, the most generic name possible. He's a handsome, heroic soldier of fortune who returns to his old neighborhood to rescue his gorgeous ex-girlfriend, rock and roll star Ellen Aim, who's played by Diane Lane, from the clutches of an evil motorcycle gang that kidnaps her. Together with Ellen's manager, Billy Fish, played by Rick Moranis, and Tom's two-fisted, beer-guzzling sidekick McCoy, Amy Manigan, they set off into a timeless world of smoke, neon, rain-splattered streets, hot cars, and deadly enemies to bring Alan back. In the words of director Walter Hill of 48 Hours fame, leader of the pack steals the queen of hop, and soldier boy comes home to do something about it. All to the sounds of today's top rock stars. I actually think that last line is um, is is completely fabricated. <laughs> what leader of the pack steals the queen of hop? Yeah, soldier boy comes. Uh, to, yeah, I but, didn't feel any of those things while watching this movie. I, what are you talking about? William Defoe is the leader of his pack. Uh, Queen of Hop. Mm, Okay, so here we go. Queen of Hop. There was no Queen of Hop. There was Diane Lane singing poorly into a microphone. She's not singing. It's... That's not her voice. I know it's not her voice. It's actually two women's voices that they congealed together to create her voice. But she's not singing pop. She is singing... Or excuse me. No, it's rock and roll. She's not singing hop. She's singing... Yeah. Rock and roll. So yeah, I think they should scratch that. It should be the queen. It should be leader of the pack steals the queen of rock and soldier boy comes home to do something about it. Exactly. Soldier Amish boy. Yeah, he's definitely, <laughs> yeah, the Amish. The only soldier thing about him is that at times he carries a really big rifle. <laughs> he does. Well, he carries several guns when he goes to rescue her. He's got like a revolver. He's got a... Uh, Pump action, and then he's got a, oh yeah, he's got a rifle. So he's got three guns. Yeah, he goes yeah. into the the st- the street gang with three guns. Yeah, he's definitely a badass with a lot of guns. By no means is anybody here practicing gun control. No, I mean this is a fake '80s slash '50s area in Richmond which is actually Richmond, Chicago, which doesn't exist. Right. It does not exist. And then there was, what was the other, the name of the other neighborhood? The Batteries or something? Yeah, Yeah. the Battery. So this takes place in Richmond and the Battery. Right, which are pseudo neighborhoods of Chicago. Completely made up. Yeah, don't exist. Not even And they don't even say neighborhoods of Chicago. They say Richmond is a town. I don't know... There is no towns in Chicago. There's neighborhoods. Well, it was filmed in 84 and set in 1950. So who knows what's happening? Well, no, it's not even set in a time period. It's set in a mystical time. Right. But every single car and the police officers, everybody, they're all driving 1950s cars. But yeah, but they're, they're combining the 50s and the 80s. They're just smacking them together to make a fantasy world. Exactly. Yes, I understand that. But it's it's fun. I, I love it when movies do that. What I just don't get is why they said the town of Richmond in Chicago in the movie. <laughs> if you're from Chicago or know anything about Chicago, you would say, Rich, you know, like a neighborhood. You did at least put that on the fake name. 
Yeah. I guess because this whole movie is very mythical in its way of presenting itself, you just have to accept it. Well, yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, did he come from a town of Richmond to Chicago? Is that, did I mishear it? No, I think that's exactly what it was. I I think it was, he was from Richmond, this other group was from the Battery, and they're gonna go to war. Okay. Well, all right, well, uh, let's stick the tape in. And now, our feature presentation. Sadly, we had absolutely no trailers at all. At all on this tape, which sucks. But you know what happens. I'm getting used to it now. I, I feel like a lot of movies where I think we would get some good trailers, we don't. But movies where I'm like, I don't really care, we get a lot of trailers. <laughs> yeah, I always like to see a couple trailers because it's kind of that moment where I'm like, oh, I remember that. Oh, those are so nice. But nothing here. And so that was a disappointment. No. You're doing us wrong, Streets of Fire. But once the movie starts, which is immediately, I love it. This movie starts immediately with just them rocking out at a concert. And it's just the most precious 80s, 50s smash up ever. I love it. I just love it so much. I want to put on a leather jacket and I want to go live in this mystical, magical town of Richmond in Chicago that kind of annoys me after I just said it. Damn it, it's a neighborhood. Just call it a neighborhood. Well, I would say that while you were sitting there ogling over this movie the first five minutes, I was thinking, this is stupid. No, it's not. I could not get over the fakeness of the rock and roll. I did not feel like Diane Lane was a very good rock star. You could tell she did not know the music because her lips were not moving with the music. I I just wasn't convinced. I thought it looked like she was yelling the words. Yeah, I think a part of me sat down and I was thinking about this earlier today. Is it because I know her so well as an actress today with her more older lady mom roles that I just have a really hard time looking at this film, which was one of her first bigger films, you might say. Although I do think she was in a couple before that. Mm -hmm. But that I just can't, I just can't picture it. I just couldn't get it. I needed her to be more edgy. What about the music? Could you close your eyes and like the music? No, because if I close my eyes and like the music, I'd be singing it today and i don't remember any of it oh my gosh we watched this movie completely different i i loved it i was smiling the entire time because this is exactly what i want movies you know like when you get the warriors and a lot of other neo noir i I can take it all day sin city i can just i just soak it in yeah i like more of the no guns, no explosions, no fighting, and just the real character building and the love Blah! stories. I knew you were going to say love. That's why I did it. Yeah, I felt like this movie was so, for me, was such a contrast that I had a really hard time enjoying it. I had a hard time getting into it. Oh, man. I was into it the first note. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, the story's really simple. She gets... Well, how about when she gets kidnapped by the battery? You know, Raven, who is played by Willing Defoe, 
Which William Defoe is so white in this, I was concerned. I think that's why I thought maybe he was like 50 years old because he's really white and his eyes are very, very red. He's very pasty. It reminds me of that other actor that has the big teeth and the big eyes. He's in all the... All the movies. Um, he's in Pulp Fiction, I think, too. Um, talking about um, Bushimi? Yeah. Bushimi? Reminds me of Bushimi, who has always been ugly, but very <gasps> talented. Yeah. Well, yeah. Steve Bushimi is hes a very talented, ugly man. <laughs> yes. And that's kind of and what I... I want to hug him. I want to hug him so much. Right. I just kind of wanted to go fishing with William Defoe in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that one scene where he comes out after you know Tom breaks in to get the girl. Oh, maybe I should wait on that. You know what? I can't. I can't. <laughs> what they? Because we were both like, "What the hell is he wearing?" I just couldn't. So he's he's in a pair of black leather pants, but they go up to right underneath his his um, pecs. And then he has, oh, they have like an overall strap. And I could not get out of my head the idea of him fly fishing. That's because after he was done kicking ass, he needed dinner. <laughs> and he was going to go fishing in the Richmond River. Well, I would really, <laughs> maybe the Richmond River that's alongside yes. <laughs> the battery connects the north side to the south side, I think. I, I don't know what, they, whatever, I, that was a weird, that was a weird costume. That's all I could say. I, I don't know. I think a lot of the costumes in this movie were a bit weird, but that was the strangest one by far. And oh, it yeah. took me out of the movie. That's the other problem is that while well, you're over there living in your mythical world of just like enlightenment and happiness, yeah. I can't stop thinking about why he's wearing fishing pants. I just explained it. He needed dinner afterwards and he's going to go fly fishing in the <laughs> Richmond River. This makes perfect sense, folks. I think, I think I need a fact check. A fact check, please. Oh, no. No fact checking in here. I'm just going to lie like Trump all day. <laughs> so, I mean, the story is really simple. The Battery Gang, or whatever they're called, they're from Battery, but I forget the gang's name. It's I don't know. Do we the even bombers? know? It's the bombers. Oh, it's the yeah. bombers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the bombers. Yeah. So the that's bombers. What they do <laughs> after they're done with the concert, the bombers come and kidnap Diane Ling's character, Ellen. Ellen. Yep. And they take her back to the Battery, and then before you know it, some tall, dark, sort of handsome guy. I think he would be more handsome if he wasn't dressed like he was. But either way, he was cool. Air quotes. He was cool and quiet. And he walks in and he just immediately beats up another gang in a diner. Yeah, he was a real badass. But I never thought he seemed cool. I thought his character was a slow-talking, weirdly-dressed Amish man. He was like a guy in a Western. Like he like a stranger strolls into town. He doesn't say much, but he takes care of business. Yeah, I wasn't convinced that he was the right person for this lead role. You know what? The more I just thought about it right there, this is a Western. A tall, dark stranger comes into a town all quiet and then rescues someone, gets paid, and then leaves. That is like the definition of one of those old school spaghetti westerns. That had to be on purpose. 
I believe that this movie was a mixture of all of the director's favorite types of movies. Uh, And so I have... I have a feeling that that is what that was. Is that he was doing a superhero? Yeah. No, no, I think I think this exactly. That is exactly what it was. It was a mashup of his favorite genres. I don't know a ton about Walter Hill who directed this, but I do know a lot about Joel Silver who produced it. And this is one of Joel Silver's early movies. I, I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing it right. Joel Silver. Joel Silver. <laughs> I don't know what you just did, but it was he's awesome. Sort of, he's cocaine. The, Joel Silver's crazy. And he just makes movies like this. And he's oh, yeah. just like, if you ever, if you want to go back in the past and listen to our last Boy Scout, that is when we really get into Joel Silver's background. But he's he's nuts. Yeah. So this seemed like it had a lot of Joel Silver um, staples in it where you have a crazy fight where everything goes nuts all at once and then it kind of slows down and at the end it goes crazy again and then Joel Silver over the years always had to top himself in his movies yeah. that he produced. Uh, this was early in his producing career so you could tell it's not like they went to space or anything but Joel Silver's probably wanted to do that in a movie. He's nuts. Uh, so you can look up all you want on him, but I call him Joel <laughs> Silver. <laughs> well, I will say I do appreciate all the different types of genres that we did see. Although I struggled to understand why they were all in one movie together. I did. Because it's fun. I did see the intricacies of each one and I could appreciate that. Yeah, you could tell this was definitely a low-budget movie that was crafted incredibly well. Because this was made for, I don't know, let me see. $14 million. million. Is that low budget? That seems like high budget to me. In 84? No, that was... mm, 84 is tough. I would say $50 million in the 80s was a high-budget film. High, high budget. I would say this was high... Yeah, I'd say high-low budget. Well, it... $14 million. Yeah, well, it didn't make $14 million in the box office. No, it didn't. It did really bad. And uh, I was trying to figure out why, because this feels like a perfect musical of the 80s. Even though this is, isn't really a musical in my mind, because... No, this is not a musical. No, but, but in this, I think they just call it that because there's songs that people are singing in the movie. I think that's the definition of a musical, like when your characters are singing it. But in this... They just have people sing on a stage. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh, it's a musical, but it's kind of like, you know, just below par <laughs> when it comes to, or I'm trying to, they like just hit the quota to make a musical. Yeah. I don't think that at any point I thought it would be a musical because in my world, a musical is when they sing about what they're doing in yeah. their regular life. And this was just singing on stage. Yeah, I think that's more of a traditional musical where right. they're singing in their everyday life. Um, but see, how do we classify? Well, I guess Lion King and cartoons like that. Those are musicals. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We're on the same page. I think. So we have Tom who comes into this town, kicks butt in the diner. And then right away, I noticed the actress in the diner was this um, Deborah Von Volkenberg. Anyway, she's in the Warriors. And well, she, that's his sister in the movie. Yeah, that's his sister, uh, Riva. Riva is her name. Yes. Yeah, Riva 
What's her last name? Cody? Yeah, because her brother yeah. is Tom Cody. Yeah, so Tom Cody, <laughs> Reva Cody. So Reva Cody, she's got a really distinctive face to me. And I I have a crush on her face. Oh, my God. When we were watching the movie, he just kept talking about how distinct her face was and how beautiful she was. I didn't say she was beautiful. I said her face is very distinct and I can't stop looking at her. <laughs> I do not disagree. I did not think she was unattractive. But again, how I feel that you're talking about this whole movie, how wonderful it is. I again would take a step back and say she was okay. Yeah, I was drinking the Kool Aid of this movie right yeah. away. Yeah, his Kool Aid. It was dark. It was bright cherry red, and he was drinking it. It was all over his yeah. face. If this a- was a cult, I'd be dead and yeah. so happy. Yeah, he really, he really loved this movie. While I was sitting right next to him in a totally different movie. Yeah, well, I mean that's just the way it is. But then Cody ends up meeting. A tough, tomboyish ex-soldier who's also a mechanic. Yeah, so I did some research on this character because this was my favorite character in the whole movie. And so what I read is that this character was actually supposed to be played by a man. Of course. Of yes. Course, yeah. And so they took, but Amy Madigan, who plays... McCoy, which is this character's name, actually went into the rehearsal for a different character, maybe the sister, and then convinced the director to put her in the McCoy. Yeah, in the McCoy role. In the McCoy role, yeah. Honestly, I could watch McCoy, and I, I think McCoy could carry Tom Cody, and I could watch a sequel of this where... Tom Cody and McCoy go off into another adventure. My biggest fantasy for this movie would be that McCoy and is it Bobby Fish? Billy Fisher? Billy Fish. B- wait, Billy Fish? It's Billy Fish. If McCoy <laughs> what the and hell Billy is his Fish. Name? Is it? Yeah, it's Billy Fish. Rick Moranis. If McCoy and Billy Fish would have fallen in love in this movie. Well, see, you you called that. At one point in this film, and I, I was convinced that you were right. I'm like, yeah, I think you got it. Because I, the rest of this film, right away, I called him. I was like, oh, he's going to save her, and then he's going to leave. I've seen this. I, I knew exactly what this was. But when you called that, I was like, you convinced me? You were so confident. I was like, I think you're right. I think they're going to do that. And they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. And actually, but I didn't know that they didn't because I did it again in my typical fashion. I fell asleep at the end before the movie was over and I had to finish watching it a day later. And I was sure that that they had fallen in love. And I was so disappointed that they didn't. Yeah, well, at the end of this, no one falls in love, or no one, no one stays together. The, the The two main people who are in love, they don't stay together. Well, that's because he is an abusive dick. Yeah. Okay. The, the there's a point in this film where I was just like taken out of it, where because I was just so confused why they decided to do this in the script. Or maybe it wasn't written in the script and just someone thought this would be a good idea on set. Either way, it didn't work out. But we'll get to that when we get to that. So Tom Cody and McCoy, well, McCoy convinces Tom Cody, hey, I want to join up with you. 
uh, let me stay at your place tonight. And Tom's like, okay, you can sleep with me. And she's like, whoa, buddy, you're not my type. And then we have Tom Cody and McCoy staying in his sister's apartment. But the one line that I thought you and I both were like, huh, was when he goes, hey, there's some chick on your couch. And she goes, why isn't she with you? And he just says, go ask her. Yeah, that that was that was pretty funny part. Yeah, I, it, was, it was just <laughs> yeah because his sister so expected him to be hooking up with some rando at a bar, and she was so okay with yeah, him bringing yeah. her bringing her home to her house to have sex with her, and then she just slept on the couch because God forbid Tom Cody is not McCoy's type. Yeah, Tom Cody's obviously an anti-hero in this. Uh, and I think as an anti-hero, he works. But... He? um, Yeah, Tom Cody. Oh, okay, he, sorry. I think as an anti-hero, he works. But I think there needed to be more of him and McCoy together. Because McCoy... Amy Madigan is a really good actress. And she... I'm not going to say she can act circles around him. But she had to carry him... It feels like in a lot of their scenes. He was not a good actor in general. He oh, didn't well, play the part well. And I think she was such a good actress. I don't know how that much she had she to work with. The sh- There's the not show. much in his line. Like, I don't know if he's a good actor or not, but she's fantastic. Yeah, she's good at almost anything she does. I mean, honestly, if we could just change the topic to the of this podcast to talking about her character, I would do that all day. Okay. Uh, so they go to the battery uh, to rescue Diane Lane and McCoy and Tom Cody have to bring... For some reason, Billy Fish comes along. I think Tom Cody made him, right? Because Billy Fish, who is played by Rick Moranis, and... Part of me, through half of this film, I thought Rick Moranis was miscast. Yeah, he he definitely, his line delivery was too, what is that called whenever it's just too... He was very precise. Yeah, it just didn't feel natural. You know, he if Tom Cody said something to him, he'd respond in a real aggressive way like, Hey dummy, why would you say something like that? Yes, he was. It seemed like he had memorized the script, and while it was really good script dialogue that he was saying, it was still very, uh, like, it just it didn't feel natural. You're right. Like you nailed yeah. it with that, but I can't really explain it. It was just like I'm saying my lines and I'm doing them very well, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's how a theater actor would say it. Yeah, I think. One of the things about Rick Moranis is that he's not a badass. Yeah. Like, he and has... I don't want to say that I'm insulting theater actors. I'm just saying, like, he said it like this. Yeah, I just think that he's he's not like his mo in all of his movies that he's been in has never been a badass mean guy, and so his delivery was just really off. Well, yeah, maybe. That character wasn't natural to him, so he stuck to the script as much as he could. Plus, this was a younger Rick Moranis. I mean, this isn't like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where he just, like, shines. Yeah. 
I I would agree. I could actually almost see Rick Moranis and William Defoe switch roles, and it would actually still work. <laughs> well, I think William Defoe can do anything, but I don't think William. I don't think Rick Moranis could do William Defoe's character Raven at all. I think he would have looked good in those fishing pants. Okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, this is a simple story. Uh, Tom Cody gets guns. McCoy, Billy Fisher, they all go to save whatever. Diane Ellen. Lane. Ellen. 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 And not to be confused with the TV show, Ellen. Ellen, yes. Yeah. Uh, so they go, they save her. And, oh, but we did have the stripper scene, which oh. was confusing the shit out of you and <laughs> yeah. I. So while we were watching, there's a stripper scene. Actually, she's not a stripper. She's a dancer. And well, she shows some boobies, so what do we classify her? But the problem is, is we weren't sure if those were boobies. Okay, and we I couldn't can't tell believe, if it was a man or a woman. I can't Ooh, believe it. I just said boobies, first of all. Boobies. I, but we could not tell if if she or it was a he. At first, I actually thought we were in a transvestite bar or so gay I. bar. But, I mean, I got to say, this stripper... Pretty sure it was a female, had some kick-ass abs. Well, that's another thing that led me to believe that this was maybe a transvestite because... Because because women can't be strong? No, because (laughs) she had a solid... You hate women? ...skinny, masculine body that you would see at at the transvestite shows here in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, she was ripped. She had to have like like one percent or half a percent of body fat. That was ridiculous. Yeah, she was yeah. too skinny. Not for me. I mean, she wasn't my type either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know. I could tell from your reaction on there. But um, back to the classification. You said a dancer, but she did take off her top so she's stripping is she a stripper how do we classify this see that's where i get confused you know i live in a world of labels yeah well i get confused because when she took her shirt off i wasn't sure if those were breasts or just pectorials yeah it was really fast but (laughs) it's just funny this scene only took 30 seconds of the movie and i swear that we talked about it for 10 it was probably the one part of the movie that we both could agree on in that, like, we were both confused. We weren't sure what was going on. What What is this person? Yeah. But uh, McCoy sneaks into the, the bar of the bombers. She immediately gets picked up by a guy who's like, you want to go to the special party room? And then she just knocks his ass out. I loved it. I you know, McCoy's great in this. She's my favorite character. I love that character. I love that she's a badass. I love that she basically is a better character. Her character is built better even than um, Tom Cody. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tom Cody's not much of a character. He's just like a caricature. A caricature. What am I saying? Am I saying that wrong? Whatever. I don't have a suggestion. He's for just you. the most generic character possible. Hero man, save. I don't talk much. Tough. Did you know that they initially wanted to cast Tom Tom Cruise in this? Doesn't surprise me. In eighty four. Yeah, sure. I think. Yeah. But I wonder if they would have casted maybe a more charismatic lead role. That it would have been a better better in the. Um, 
box office? I don't know. I Like I said, I, I think they wanted this character to be very quiet and cool and just like cool under pressure because he never loses his cool. That's what I mean by cool. He never freaks out in a situation. And I think they wanted the world around him to be more interesting. Because I, I think if you would have casted someone like Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise has got a huge personality and it's hard to bottle up. I think he would have gotten into this and he would have attracted way too much attention and taken away from all the interesting characters and, you know, uh, sets that they built around them. That's just my prediction. Yeah. I don't know. I think that it would have been a better movie if they had a better lead. So you're saying they should have got Will Smith? I would say that uh, in 1984, Will Smith would not have fit this role very well. He would have been like a baby. But I think that they failed miserably on casting the lead role. Eh, well, it still was a good movie to me, so I'll look past it. <laughs> but yeah, they, I mean, they're, obviously you could have picked a lot of different um, character actors that would have worked well. And I mean, they already had one on set in Bill Paxton who played Clyde the bartender. Yeah. He was awesome. He's He was a good character. I mean, he didn't get a lot of screen time but when he was on screen he looked magnificent had his elvis hairstyle oh, his pompadour is awesome he also had one of his his teeth missing so yeah, they, i didn't get that i was it that was his... just his small town i so this was so half of these people were like country folk i mean did at the very no no i'm saying was he missing a tooth yes or was that like supposed to be something over his tooth no well it was something over his tooth but he was supposed to look like he had lost a tooth oh i feel like at the end of the movie i didn't even notice that he had that in there like all of his teeth were there that's why i was like was i don't know we'd have to look back but it was he definitely had a tooth missing which i think they were representing as like small town country folk from Richmond. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there were so many really good character actors in this. We had Ed Bagley Jr., who played the bum, who told Tom, Billy, oh, and McCoy, yeah. like, everything. And he was all in, you know, dirt makeup, and his hair <laughs> was just spiked up with as much hairspray that it could possibly yeah. take, which you pointed out. My, wow, that bum has a lot of hairspray. Yeah, my first... <laughs> My first comment was, man, I mean, that bum really, you know, hairsprayed his hair up high today. Well, I mean, people throw away a lot of hair product. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was kind of like a Zach Morris lookalike slash Zach bum. Morris is trash. <laughs> Who else? Who else did we have? Oh, when it came to the character actors? Yeah. Um, you had quite a few of them. Uh, one of the guys that was in the band... Um, uh, Williamson, you'll see him a lot. I mean, there was just a lot of them, and a lot of them I don't know the names of. It's just when they would pop up, I'd be like, hey, I know that person. Remember the Robert De Niro guy? Yeah, fake Robert De Niro's in here. Um, uh, shit, what is that guy's name? I don't know if it even matters. It's is just it fake. Leaving? Leaving. Yeah. Yes, Leaving, who's uh, fake De Niro. Anyone who knows Leaving, look up his... You know, his IMDb. You'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Fake De Niro. Yeah. And there was a lot of them that show up in this. So whoever did the casting in this, bravo. You did a good job. But back to the story. They just break into the bomber's bar. 
they get uh, Diane Lane back, then they run away, and then they get back to the Richmond. Rick Moranis pays Tom Cody. Tom Cody refuses to take the $9,000 that he paid him. Well, he paid him $10,000, but he was going to give him a coy 10%. So he just took 1000 and threw $9,000 on the ground. And immediately, I was like, Tom, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, I would have taken the take money. Take the money. Yeah, but Tom didn't want to take the money. Tom was in love, and, and love meant more than the money. Well, I think it was pride. Because oh, she shit. was with Billy at the time. And he was like, I don't need to admit that I need this guy's money. He's good enough to take it wasn't my girl. Pride. It was love because immediately after that, she chased him down. And the next scene, they were in bed together. He did it yeah, but he to was, get laid. You think he knew that like, oh, now she knows I didn't do it for the money. I did it for her. Yeah. You think he planned that far ahead? This he idiot? wanted to get laid. Okay. That's definitely how that I went. just don't think he wanted... This is my view. And so yours is for love. Mine was, I don't think he wanted to take the money from the guy who was dating his girl. And because he did that, she was just like, now I want him. And he's like, oh, that worked. Okay, I'll take it. I don't think he thought that far ahead. But you might be right. I think I'm right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm usually wrong, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had a record. Oh, we are recording. I say I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> That's like one of my lines. In fact, I say it so much, you might actually start to think, is he just saying that to trick me? <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, I mean, when this uh, this movie gets to the end, it is, I think it's a great fight because Raven chases down Tom Cody. And for some <laughs> so reason, for some reason, the writers went... Ugh, we're tired of people fighting with knives, what? swords, or pipes, or guns. How about we use, I don't know, railroad tied hammers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so they just go after each other with these railroad tie hammers. I, I don't know the definition of that. I, I mean, I, I don't know the actual name, but yeah, they're the hammer thingies <laughs> that you use to hammer in railroad ties no matter what type of weapon it is they continuously miss each other as they are swinging as hard as they can i guarantee if somebody gave me one of those hammers i would not miss well they didn't miss the other guy blocked <laughs> yeah it was the dumbest Railroad Listen, tie folks, fight. I've she ever is so seen. wrong. It was amazing. It was, and also the color of blood that they used. It for a minute, I thought I was watching the Joker in Batman. Well, I couldn't tell if it was normal colored blood, but when it's on William Defoe's face and it's so white that it just yeah. looks like the Joker. William Defoe actually looks like death in this movie. Yeah, he looks like he definitely needs more vitamins. Yeah, I wonder if that was makeup or if that's just his. I hope face. it was makeup. I I'm I'm doing like the little prey symbol here. Please be makeup because that man um had apparently never seen the sun. No. If it wasn't makeup, but I'm pretty sure it was makeup. I don't know. I can't figure out through the plot of the story why they would need to make somebody so pale. Because it's awesome. I don't know. Because uh. he's a, he's the bad guy. I have <laughs> no idea. Honestly, I have no idea. 
I just love William Defoe, and I love him. I love it when William Defoe is like the super tough character. It reminds me of Joe Pesci when he's talking all the trash and he's doing all this stuff. But you know, almost ninety percent of the cast could beat the shit out of those little bitty pipsqueaks. I know they have big voices and big personalities, but come on, Joe Pesci's like three foot eleven, and William Defoe is like five foot. William Defoe is only like five foot. I don't know. He's tiny. That's what I'm saying. He looks like he weighs a buck twenty. Maybe that's why they put him in the in the fisherman pants because it made him look taller. Yeah, but he's tiny. Like I, they're not Bruce Lee. They can't beat everyone up because they're small. At least Bruce Lee was ripped. Like me. I just I just think it's really funny. Like when, my strength. Yes. I don't like it when you call small people pip squeaks. <laughs> Babe, you're taller than Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah. Nah, eh, that's that's probably true. <laughs> you you maybe. I don't know how tall. I, I love Joe Pesci. But uh I mean, do I believe that he could be a badass? No. Plus they're all actors. Not many actors are very yeah. you know, not not many actors are known for their toughness. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Again, back to William Defoe. He looked like death. And he's really a small person. And he didn't die. Nobody died. Nobody died in this movie. Oh, shit. You're right. I know I'm right. Yes. Nobody died. Oh, my gosh. Well. They had to keep the rating down to PG, so nobody right. died. Oh, man. That's why William Defoe got dra- dragged off at the end. I was thinking about that. Like, this movie, like, I think, would have to be PG. Like- Initially, the I don't know if it was the director or the writer wanted... William Defoe to die wanted Tom Cody to kill William Defoe, but to yeah. keep the uh, rating at what it needed to be for PG, it, it had to come out uh, PG rated. So, so you actually did research. I this. did a lot of research on this. Um, Is it because you didn't like the film? Like, I want to learn more about this film. <laughs> I that and I have a forty-minute commute on both ends of my way to oh. work. So <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Like when you're on the train or something, you can yeah. read. Yeah, 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 that'll do it. I ha- I drive to work, so I don't get anything yeah. to read. And when I do, I almost kill thirty people. Yeah, you should not do that, babe. What? It's just no. I'm awesome. I'm like Raven. Oh, I do what I want. Yeah, Raven, you're a bomber, literally. I'm bright white. <laughs> Everybody. And, uh, and I wear fisherman pants Yeah, to work. so Steven went out and got some fisherman pants, and he's sitting in the studio tonight in fisherman pants. Yep, that's what I like. Actually, what I'm sitting in right now is uh, the shirt you got it. You guessed it. It's Frank, Frank Stallone. Stallone. <laughs> yep. Everybody, I am the best girlfriend ever because I bought him the most awesome shirt. You're a pretty good girlfriend, pretty good. <laughs> that was good. Pretty good girlfriend. Did you just Trump me? Is that Trump? I think it was Trump. I don't think that's Trump. No, I think Trump would be, you're, uh, you're the best girlfriend ever. You're great. You're wonderful. You're bigger than China. China's a piece of trash. Sarah's the greatest. But, and you, yeah. Yeah, I was going to go into tariffs here. I was but doing I... more of like the nine-year-old. Oh, I love you so much. You're the oh, no. Well, your nine-year-old sounded, your first nine-year-old sounded like Trump. <laughs> well, Trump is a 10-year-old who's actually got the brain of a five-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. We can bring up Trump on this. No one cares. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. 
so we kind of got on a a well it doesn't really matter uh, they're gonna watch the movie I, i'm sure hopefully you know i i don't know how many listeners will actually have seen this movie i feel like this movie's kind of obscure to the point it's it's a fake musical <laughs> that's a fable that's a neo-noir that's like i never heard of it so maybe half most of you have and i'm the only one who is living in the dark but i don't know but let's move on to the museum this is the second time i've had to reclaim my property from you that belongs in a museum so do you this is the part of the show where we go out like indian to the film jungle and bring something back good or bad I'll let the guests go first. Well, as we have all figured out throughout this film, I did not love it. I will not watch it again. But if I could extract something from this movie and hang it on a hanger and put it in a museum, it would be William Defoe's Fish Pants. I love those things. I thought they were hilarious. And even in the scenes later... I was wondering if he was wearing them under his leather jacket. Uh, I think mine would be the band that they picked up that had the, I don't know, was it like a bus? Yeah, they were on a bus. That was your favorite part. You couldn't get over it. That bus was great. Not the bus, but the singing. You were like, these guys are so great. They were. And then they showed them at the end of the movie. They performed the song, I can dream about you. You know, if I love I can't that. hold you tonight, I can dream about you. You, you know, know how, how to, to hold me just right. right. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, that was a really fun. I mean, you could tell that the lead singer was like, he's a singer. Yeah. He was a performer. Uh, yeah. And he was better than Diane Lane. So when like those two were next to each other, I could definitely see like, oh, well, this guy knows what he's doing. Diane Lane is just an actress trying to be a performer or trying to be a musical performer. Well, I knew that from the start that she was not a musical Smarty performer. <laughs> um, but I will say how it went down in our house was the last saw the last credits the song was on and i was like can we just turn this off now and steven said no no we need to finish watching this is great this is the best part so steven definitely liked the music yeah i just I'm, i'm starting to realize that you don't like rock and roll i love rock and roll i just don't like diane lane pretending like she is a movie or a musical star She's the best. I don't know what you're talking about. Diane Lane is the greatest performer I've ever seen. The rest of the performers are nothing. They're small. They're stupid. They're dumb. This is not a side of you I've ever seen. This Diane Trump Lane, side. This Diane Lane was the best. You don't know what you're talking about. Excuse me. I've got to go tweet exactly what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm speechless. They were it was, the whole thing was fun. I, I I was just surprised that, but you know that's fine if you know if you don't like it because I can just sit in my little troll cave here and I can watch this movie all I want to. Yeah, I don't have to watch this movie again. Would I request that other people? Oh, isn't that the next part of this? Is re- telling if we would tell other people to watch it? 
Oh, so oh. you don't listen to every episode like you tell me. You do. Well, I listen to so many different podcasts that I cannot remember if no, that's no, part it's of this. Cool. <laughs> My family doesn't listen either. I do listen, just not to every single one, Steven. Where's Matt? I miss Matt. He's my real love. Uh, yeah. Mostly because he just likes the same stupid movies I do. Hey oh. Hey oh. But uh, yeah, that will end our show this week. <laughs> Why did you just look at me like that? That'll end our show this week. Uh, go on and watch Streets of Fire. It's freaking awesome. Or I don't, don't watch it. Or don't watch it. If you never see this movie, I think it's okay. However, if you are a young at heart guy like good old Steven and loves a mix, a mashup of a whole bunch of weirdness, then this is the best movie for you. That's what I'm going to do. Every day she's going to come home from work and be like, oh, I'm so happy to be home. And then she's going to look over and be like, streets of fire, damn it. Yeah, but yeah, the only thing I don't like about it is the big rifle, but Yeah, but it's a it's a work of art. Mm. Perfect. Just like Diane Lane's performances. Jeez, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, even though we forget to reply. You can email us at analogjonestof at gmail.com, Podbean, iTunes, you know where it's all at. And please comment on our YouTube, because I, I feel like that's where most of the action is at. All right, remember to be kind. And rewind. dream about you. Put the words up. Put the well, words how up. How am I going to put the words up? You just had the words up. No. Put the words up. It's time to end this I bit. can dream about you. When I can hold you. To, I don't know. What is it? You had the words up. It's more fun to predict it. To I guess. can dream about you. If I can hold you tonight. I think it's if I can't hold you tonight. That just made it really disgusting. I can dream disgusting. about you. I can you dream. know how to hold me just right. You know how to hold me just right. Yeah, we'll end with that. <laughs>